Hello again, and welcome to the Planet Beyond podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in delivering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. For this episode, we're going to be looking at the development of hydrogen as a fuel for uncrewed surface vessels. We'll be joined by an old friend of the podcast, Ben Simpson, CEO and founder of Seakit International. Ben will be joined by Seakit's naval architect, Chloe Fisher, and Henk van Dalen, director, Blue Robotics from Fugro, will be coming on board to give a sense of how the work Ben and Chloe are doing is helping meet the needs of clients in the offshore space. The offshore renewable sector plays a key role in the energy transition. The exponential growth on offshore assets needed will require new approaches to vessel design. At the same time, the maritime sector as a whole needs to decarbonize. Hydrogen offers a potential route to decarbonization for many vessels. A new demonstration project being conducted with the Port of London takes us closer to making hydrogen fueled vessels a practical reality. Now, for those who follow Planet Beyond closely, you recall that back in episode 16, that was net zero vessels, we had an opportunity to kick this conversation off. And indeed, Ben was on that call, when in fact, we were sitting together with Peter Toxopaeus from Fugro in a booth at Oceanology. That was 20 months ago. We're all on a journey to net zero. And with the timescales governments have set, and that companies like Fugro, Seakit and, and their clients have set for themselves, 20 months is a very long time. It's essential we make rapid progress. Your work is a vital part of the progress we need to make. So, give us an update. How are we doing? I know, I know you've been focusing both on uncrewed surface vessels, or USVs, and remotely operated vehicles, or ROVs. Thank you, John. Thanks for, thanks for having me. We work together with a great team here to realize our remote operation, uh, um, uh, how do you say, outlook. And we do that by building USVs and EROVs. So those are uncrewed surface vessels and electronic uh, ROVs. Our partnership with Seakit has been going on for over four years. And the way we work together is we basically, uh, we, we start at the early stages of, of, the, of the product development. Previously, uh, Seekit already had a proven design, the X-Class, and we lifted on board that to make it uh, suitable for Fugro's operation. So the whole idea is that the teams collaborate strongly during the engineering phase, where we then agree the, the, the scope, the design, and Seekit then goes into the production of it, where Fugro supports that. 
And in the end, the teams come together to make sure that all the survey equipment is outfitted and tested together. So it really is a, a joint product design and, and, and built there. And uh, thus far, that has resulted in five uh, operational USVs together with, uh, with the Seakit family. Amazing. So why is it so important to change how we power vessels? Can you give us a sense of the scale of emissions from fossil fuels at sea? So if you look at the overall maritime industry, uh, we are responsible for 2 to 3% of global emissions. Evidently, that is not Fugro alone, of course, but uh, we do feel as a company the responsibility to contribute to a sustainable future there. So Fugro itself has set the ambition to be net zero by 2035. And the way that Fugro is approaching that is really focusing uh, evidently on our operation. But a very large pillar of that is to make sure that we go more and more to an acid light based operational approach, which includes our uncrewed surface vessels. Uh, but also we have to uh, decarbonize the traditional fleet. And we do that by hybrid conversions, uh, methanol conversion, but also looking at future more green build of our, our shipping there. And we also recognize the importance of hydrogen in that space. And that's why this uh, development with the, uh, the H-Class, which uh, I guess Chloe and Ben will talk about shortly, is so exciting there. Very good. Now, Ben, when we last spoke, I remember you said, roughly, the first step is to get rid of diesel vessels. You were very clear about that. So how are shipbuilders and designers looking at this problem right now? Yeah, uh, shipbuilders and designers are looking into this in, in, in many different ways. But the most exciting ways uh, for me at the moment are using alternative fuels, of course, to reduce non-reusable energy sources, such as marine diesel, as you've said. Wind-assisted ships to reduce propulsion demands. I mean, these are great. It's almost turning back the clock to uh, ships trading under sail across the Atlantic, but that's now coming back into use. Um, and foiling vessels now to reduce drag, uh, obviously reduces the amount of propulsion required. And utilising unmanned technology to reduce the size of the vessels obviously reduces the amount of fuel burn as well. You've started work on a, on a new stage of a project with the Port of London Authority, or PLA. How is that coming along? Absolutely. We're now in stage three of the project as it is. And this, this part's, uh, it is part of ZEBI, which is uh, an Innovate UK project, which stands for Zero Emission Vessel Infrastructure. Now, our part of this project uh, is to produce a hydrogen-powered USV surveying, for surveying around the Thames and in the Thames estuary. When we talked last time, you, you mentioned the importance of developing hydrogen infrastructure. Is that the focus here? It, it's not just the infrastructure for hydrogen, though. It's for, for electric charging of vessels as well. Effectively, we're, we're sitting there faced with just fuel pumps on the dock. Now, we are making advances faster with the electrical charging than we are with um, hydrogen fueling facilities, but uh, they all need to be um, um, progressed as, as quickly as possible. And you've also been looking at fuel storage on vessels. Chloe, you've worked with Bramble on this, haven't you? They're developing new hydrogen fuel technology, and you've been working out how, how to use it on a USV. What's been involved in that? Yeah, thanks, John. Starting out then, sort of, you, you spoke about the CMDC project and Seekit have been partnered with Bramble for two of these now. The first stage was looking at sort of the proof of concept. So 
taking the existing system that Bramble had and then looking at um, early stages marinization. Whereas for the second stage of the competition, we were looking through the regulations and working with Lloyd's Register in that instance to work on the marinization. And what it comes down to is you start off obviously at the stack level, which is the core of the fuel cell module. And you have to look at everything from the materials to the piping, the zoning, sort of the ventilation you have in that system. And then you start building it up from there. And what Bramble were doing is quite unique in their printed circuit board technology is to leverage existing supply chains for the circuit boards to hopefully bring down the cost and sort of scale the solution um, and make it a little bit more sustainable. And then from that point, you build it up into the system level of integration. So you're looking at the compartment of where it's installed in the vessel. Um, what you find at sea is that so your vessel is moving much more than a car would in terms of inclination role. So what you have to do is look at um, testing for the system. Water's produced, so you don't want any points in the system where you've got water collecting that would damage it. And equally things like cooling it are very critical, but you've each equally got a, a great heat sink around you when you're operating at sea. We outsiders don't really see the, the technical challenges. There's a temptation to just say, come on, get it done switch fuels but there's a lot to do and this project is setting you on a on a path to using hydrogen fuel cells on smaller vessels can it be used on bigger vessels too on on container ships for example i think um so starting out with our project, we obviously are looking at uncrewed surface vessels. So size is really critical for us and we're trying to downsize as much as possible. But when we look to the regulations, they're all written a lot for the larger vessels that are out there. So we still have to beat certain minimum clearances or, or heights for vent masts, that kind of thing that actually become quite prohibitive when you're designing a new vessel um, as small as ours. But equally, if you are scaling up, then the technology is progressing in that direction. But for fuel cells and hydrogen, the challenge is the energy density, um, volumetric, and then also looking at the gravimetric density. So volumetrically, you're looking at obviously payload space on board the vessel. So a container ship obviously is driven by how many containers you can get on board. If you're starting to then counter that with massive hydrogen tanks, um, it becomes quite cumbersome. And then equally looking at the, the sort of the gravimetrics, you're looking at the, the the weight of these tanks, um, we're looking at quite a few tons on board our vessel for the actual the composite tanks that you have. You mentioned the way the regulations for vessels are designed, that they include a lot of details that are really relevant to big diesel-fueled vessels or, or ahead of similar fuels like LNG or, or liquefied natural gas. Do they, do they work as well for you as you design innovative, uncrewed, hydrogen-fueled vessels? Absolutely. I think that's where the starting point is for the regulators. They're looking at existing LNG regulations, low flashpoint fuels, and then developing more hydrogen-specific scenarios from that. But it's trying to create a rule set that captures every design that designers are going to come up with in the maritime space whether that's large vessels or small vessels and that's why they're moving towards these goal-based criteria but that does mean that you have to go through each individual sort of case um, for the vessel and to prove your equivalent level of safety so it is a it's a slow process and um, we are finding that at the moment 
be fair to the regulators. We're only a few years into the hydrogen journey. We've, we've had diesel for almost a century and, and LNG for decades. What needs to happen to get hydrogen on the same level as these older fuel types? Yeah, and I think what we're trying to do now is leverage some of the learnings from other sectors. So you're looking at the automotive space. Obviously, we've got hydrogen buses and cars that are operating now. Um, it seems to be in the maritime space that actually the regulators are being a little bit more restrictive. Rightly so, obviously looking at the safety aspects, but also um, it's trying to get the balance between the two to actually get projects on the water so you get some learnings um, that way. This is where I become hysterical and start saying things like, well... We're also talking about the safety of the planet. Should we be panicking? Or are we on the right track? Yeah, and that's the scary bit. I think that's what makes us come to work every day and to sort of be pushing towards these projects. Um, I entered the industry last year after graduation and ship design, um, as I know, it has always been driven by climate change. So we're looking at how we propel these vessels. We're looking at the efficiency of them. And that's always been a big factor for me. Thank you for that. When I hear you talk like that, I realise we've got hope. So thank you for sharing that. Hydrogen is clearly an important part of the energy transition. But there are other new technologies that Fugro and Seekit have been working on together. How did that collaboration come about? We were um, developing state-of-the-art USBs that needed to get time on task in order to get that commercial acceptance faster. Uh, and, and Fugo were very ambitious in this sector, uh, and it seemed like a natural fit for us to join forces to deliver a workable, reliable system, and then get those systems in front of clients faster uh, to, to reduce CO2 emissions uh, wherever possible. And at the end of the day, getting that that commercial acceptance is a challenge, and, 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 and that's one of the things we have to work really hard at. Uh, and as I said, time on water um, helps that. Uh, regulation has obviously um, been um, slower than we'd like, uh, and that's been, um, um, you know, been a bit of a burden on the on the way. But that is now hopefully freeing up, and we'll, we'll see the new regulations coming out over the next uh, six months. From my side, John, you know, as Ben uh, uh, indicated already nicely, I think that was a was a nice uh, start of a marriage, you could say, four years ago, where where Fugro wanted to really grow its its operational uh, footprint there, and 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 Seekit had this differentiating technology. And I, I think from the start, you know, it, it, it's been all about that. And as you go through a technology development, there's always hurdles along the way. Eh? You learn on, on the first development, uh, you know, technical things to improve. You learn about your operational model and the commercial side. Uh, and I think that's been an evolution we've been going through for quite some time now. And maybe specifically to highlight the, the regulatory aspect, which Ben hinted upon, we, we do see differences quite a bit through the various regions we operate there. We see, for example, in, in, in the Australia regions, we work very closely together with AMSA and we're able at an early stage to start the dialogue and really hit the ground running there. Familiar things we also saw uh, similar to that in, in, in the Middle East, um, but we did see with the first launch in, in Europe, actually working together with the MCA, we really had to backtrack a bit of, of work there. And there you see the complexity of a lot of you know countries being involved. You know, on the North Sea, you operate for various types of operators in, in, in various uh, bodies of water. Um, that, that really was a, a big struggle to get through in the beginning. Maybe we could just take a few steps back for a second. Can you give us a big picture view of 
what Fugro is trying to achieve for its customers with its development of uncrewed vessels. So one of the, the key elements is, of, of course, we still want to deliver the, the, the value added data for our clients. We believe with, with this data, we can uh, you know, reduce the overall risk of their project development and we, and we can help them lower the overall cost there as well, including when it comes to inspection, repair and maintenance. Now, the, the beauty of this approach with uh, the, the uncrewed vessels is that, uh, first of all, you know, we achieve safer operations. And we really reduce the HSC exposure by moving people from offshore to onshore. In addition to that, there's this opportunity to increase the pace of delivery of data through cloud-based processing and, and near real-time data access. Because basically these, 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 these smaller vessels offshore unmanned become like data processors already, which enable this continuous uh, flow of data which our clients seek there. Now, thirdly on top of that, um, there's, of course, the fact that these vessels are smaller, more compact. We'll be moving to more renewable fuels uh, as well in the future. But they reduce, uh, uh, you know, the reduction of their carbon footprint is really immense in that respect. You know, compared to the uh, regular crude operations we do, this is a 95% less emissions with our uncrewed vessels. Um, so that, that really is a, a huge benefit, uh, not only for our clients, but, but for uh, us as a, as a world as well there. So I think in those three aspects of, you know, safer operations, increasing the pace of delivery of data and reducing the carbon footprint, I think this adds a lot of value to, uh, to our clients there. Ben, you've made significant progress in the first three years of the project, haven't you? One development is the new XL-class vessel. Can you tell us a bit about the vessel's capabilities? Absolutely. Um, so XL, as it says, XL large. It's it's for bigger seas, more endurance, and a larger payload. To give you an idea, the XL has about three times the size of the payload capacity of the X class, and is capable of enduring much heavier sea states for longer periods of time. Now that helps reduce downtime and obviously time in transit, which always helps reduce the CO2 to get the task done. That's really great news, particularly as we aim for net zero. But Henk, you always have one eye, at least, on the needs of clients. What do the XL vessels offer them? Yeah, I think the beauty of the XL class, uh, well, well, Ben carefully already highlighted really the, the, the advantage it gives compared to the existing model we have. And I, I think the beauty of it for our clients is that it opens up an arena of areas which were currently unaccessible with uh, the existing USV design we had. So. You know, more adverse weather, deeper water depths, we can really expand our global footprint to, to, to the areas where the, the, the more complex assets sit from our clients. Uh, but next to that, with the longer endurance at sea, uh, again, it comes back to this, this uh, allowing operations which were previously all crewed now to go uncrewed, which makes them safer and, and more sustainable there. So I think this this new design is really going to be a game changer in that respect, because there's no other vessel like this in the industry. And next to the vessel itself, we are increasing our, our payload capacity there. So we have now the uh, Blue Amp, which is our uh, newest electrical remote operated vehicle. Uh, it can go up to water depths of 500 meter there. And because this is also a more robust system, it's, it's larger than our sister, the Blue Volta. Um, it, it has more power. Um, so again, uh, it can go to more adverse uh, currents and, and deeper water depths there. 
And this again will uh, allow that data inside, which was normally not accessible with the current design, to be something which we can do via remote operations. So I think this Excel class is building on what we have already, uh, which adds a lot of value to, to, the, to our clients uh, in, in those more accessible areas. But now we can expand this footprint further, uh, which opens up not only uh, new areas of operation, but also new countries which previously uh, couldn't be explored yet. Wonderful. Chloe, it's down to naval architects like you to get the balance of features of a green vessel with the payload and range clients need. Can you talk us through how you strike that balance? Absolutely. And I think um, the beauty of what we've been doing with the CMDC 1 and 2 projects is that we started out in CMDC 1 with looking at Max Lima, the first X-Class that was produced, and sort of looking at the space available and also then looking at a retrofit of a, a clean propulsion system. And with that, we really sort of noted the um, obviously the impact of hydrogen tanks, storing those on board the vessel. Um, it eats it into the, uh, the payload capacity quite dramatically. Um, so that then going back to a client and saying you've obviously lost capability for the, the ROV or anything like that has a massive impact on, on who your client base is. So then with the CMDC2 project, we had the opportunity to essentially go back to the drawing board and start again. So looking at what would a client actually want to get out of the vessel? And then also factoring in things like the fuel storage challenge early on in the design spiral, um, which is what we use in sort of naval architecture is to say at the early stage, we need to decide on a whole form, but also the impact of these um, quite cylindrical tanks are going to have quite a big impact on, on the overall shape of the vessel. So that's why we could um, reallocate portions of the vessel to fuel storage and then also consider the, the, the remaining space for payload and then look at the offerings that we could go to market with. And since then, obviously with Zevi, we've actually got a, a user in mind. So obviously the Port of London Authority being based on the Thames, it is a different sort of way of operating the vessels that Fugro typically operate in terms of them being quite close to shore. It's on the estuary, so they're not going to be going out um, any great distances, but it's looking at sort of increasing the, the operational window that they currently use um, with sort of crude operations and then having access to the, the wider infrastructure. So there are a lot of aspects that go into it. and um, you got to start out looking at how you can cut your energy consumption in the first case, um, looking at all the efficiencies that you can gain throughout the vessel and then looking at how much fuel you need to store on board and then also making sure that delivers for your clients. You used an expression I've never heard, design spiral. What does that mean? It's... um. It's a great point in naval architecture in that you start out with your client's uh, mission statement as their use case, and then you start working through on the outer spiral to say you're looking at whole form, stability, systems, structures, everything. And then as you get to that sort of that beginning point again, you go back to your clients and you say, okay, we can now build on the level of detail that you've got within that. So you do sort of a concept stage, preliminary design, and then you go into the detailed stages. And it's always going back through each stage of the operation and equally seek it. Obviously, we are positioned with naval architects, systems engineers. So you have to go around everyone in a team and gather their inputs to make sure your design is working before you progress to the next stage of detail. Let's see if we can tie together these two types of innovation. The development of new ways of servicing offshore renewables through new USVs and the growth of hydrogen as one option to fuel these vessels. Hank, what options are Fugro looking at 
to fuel future USVs. So our net zero roadmap, uh, like I highlighted previously, has, has kind of mapped out for ourselves how we want to reach these ambitions by 2035. Now, the USV pillar being one of them, currently that is still uh, diesel electric focused. Um, however, renewable uh, options will become available there in the future. Um, also, uh, following the line which, which CKIT is looking at at the moment with hydrogen. Now, if you look at the way we're approaching this for our traditional fleet as well, which will tie into the USV program later uh, uh, also, is a methanol there. Now, methanol is, is a fuel which, uh, you know, we uh, believe can be a, a game changer in the future. It's still going through quite some development and R&D work there. But if you look at the energy density of this fuel, it really could provide an opportunity to switch to, um, you know, first call it hybrid conversion and in the future going to full methanol conversions for our traditional fleet there. Having said this, though, it's all about making sure the infrastructure is there as well. So we have to do this in collaboration with the industry. Um, but those would be the key assets where we're kind of looking at at the moment. I hate to rain on your parade here, Henk, but a lot of people will point out that methanol is still a carbon emitting fuel. I know it's cleaner than diesel and it can be used much more easily than hydrogen. But how do you overcome the, that objection? So. There's various ways to produce methanol, and evidently um, it, it's all about the stage of development uh, they're in at the moment. But it is Fruga's ambition to do the, the correct way there. So look at methanol either in waste streams or, you know, the, the most environmentally correct way. Uh, and that's all part of this assessment. So when we talk about net zero, it really is about net zero. And there's uh, key parameters related to making sure that that's a traceable element. Uh, and evidently, the, the methanol approach we're taking there will follow those, 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 those guidelines. So it's not just a question of switching to methanol, but making sure that methanol is from a carbon neutral source. Another important step is going to be further developing the next generation of USVs and e-vessels. What obstacles do you have to overcome there? From, from a, the shipbuilder's point of view, we're really looking forward to regulation catching up with industry. And as I said earlier, the, uh, what new workboat code will be coming out so, soon, and that allows us to actually start building vessels to class, which gains uh, you know, more reassurance in the industry again, but also allows gives us a rule set to produce boats for much easier than what we currently do with load line exemptions. Uh, and that will allow us just to, to move and work more freely in all marine sectors, really. When we were planning the episode, you mentioned a time frame. I think it was something like six months. Did I pick that up correctly? It's probably a, 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 a bit of a sore point, really, within the <laughs> industry right. because it, it, it keeps on getting knocked back. But we, um, it, I think, I do believe that the uh, it's now been submitted to to government for for final review, and so we are hoping that it will be coming out uh, in the next year, first half next year. Let's hope that that date sticks. How is it looking to you, Hank? Yeah, so for, from our end, uh, the way we look at this, I think there's there's three aspects to consider for, for the future there. So so technology-wise, Ben highlighted already, you know, from a shipbuilding perspective, we need to, to, to make these, uh, these changes for the future. And I think from an operational perspective, we would like the technology to really increase in the reliability there. And the reliability relates in part also to the performance of the vessel, but also how you can facilitate your, your 
repair and maintenance around that to really make sure you can do continuous uh, continuous work offshore. Now, next to that, there's the operational model itself, for which the regulatory bodies, of course, play an important role. Um, however, on the other side, there's also the uh, the scale of uh, economy of scale, you could say. So the more USVs we get online, you know, the, the 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 more nicer the proposition gets for our clients because we have multiple assets, and we have multiple uh, remote operating centers around the world, really providing this this global coverage to make sure we can do uh, uh, holistic operations there. Now, thirdly, there, there's the com commercial aspect. Um, we have good traction with quite a few key clients of ours to to you know embrace the remote operating way of working. And really jointly together um, develop this because in part it's not about just uh, call it Fugro changing its services. It, it actually could be quite pivotal for our clients as well to rethink their whole maintenance program uh, with us because that way we, we can really add even more value to our clients. And I think we've had good traction with a few of our key clients. We've seen that, for example, with Woodside in Australia, Taka here in the North Sea and Atnok in the Middle East. That's very interesting to see these clients jumping on board. And we really hope to see that this expands further, because I think if we can step into the partnership arrangement with our clients, they can really you know, feel the overall benefits of going fully uh, to remote operations there and seeing the value it adds to their to their projects. So there's real progress there on the on the commercial side, on getting the clients on board. Let's just return to the regulatory side. What's been put forward? Is it very, very tailored to, to certain technologies, certain approaches? Or would it help the industry in general? Is it is it going to create a space where innovation can develop in possibly areas that we haven't considered at this point? How generalistic are the new regulations? Well, it's uh, in parallel to, I suppose, vessel design and alternative fuels, of course, we're, we're on the road um, roadmap as well to from unmanned vessels to autonomous vessels. And uh, and, and that uh, the regulations do go into that part of it as well. And, 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 and in order to get to true autonomy, you have to be able to comply with the rule sets, uh, the coal regs. And in, in order to do that, we have to have things like automatic vessel recognition systems to be able to de decipher what vessel is out there to put it into the rule set um and and yeah so there's uh, there's many different aspects to uh yeah the, the industry than just uh, the vessel clever vessel design and alternative fuel so that's um certainly um uh, a, a part of the uh, the developments that we're working with within seekit hank is there anything that seekit and fugro can share with us now to give us an insight into what this partnership is likely to deliver in the near future, or, or maybe a bit further out there. What, what are you thinking? What do you think we can change together? I think maybe let's build it on from near term to long term there. Like on the very near term, I think the most important is we have a, a joint party at the end of the year to really celebrate a bit of success together. Wonderful. I've seen a lot to celebrate today, and, and who doesn't like a party? And I think that is a very good thing to do, because if you realise where we stand now, there's there are seven X-Class designs, these are the 12-meter uh, USVs, five of which are operating for Fugro. You know, these things are in the water and they're changing the industry as we speak. And I definitely think that's something worth celebrating together. 
Now, in the, in the near term, and that's the next year or so, what we see there is this uh, the, the XL class is coming, uh, coming out, the PRISM we'll be working on together, which will follow from that. And as Chloe and Ben mentioned, the H class as well. So if you look at that from a holistic point of view, basically there's going to be four product designs coming from the Seakit uh, production facilities there, which is a very exciting change in, in, in the short term already. Now, if you look at the partnership with Seekit uh, and Fugro, you know, in, in quarter four, we will, uh, which is now, of course, we're evaluating where we stand in the partnership. We're going to map out the next phase of, of the partnership together. Uh, and without being too open about that just at the moment, I, I can say it's going to be exciting and, and this journey is going to continue. And I think what we then need to think about is, you know, how do we make this step from having product available to expanding this within the global Fugro footprint, but also in the wider industry there. I think if you look at uh, research and science, defense, uh, aquaculture, there's a lot of opportunities for USVs and Seakit can serve these markets very well. Now, I think with these designs we already have, there's great opportunities there and we will be expanding our footprint there, I hope. Uh, but also looking at even other designs for the future, because again, you know, as the waters get deeper, the, uh, the the environment gets more harsh, you know, increased capabilities will again allow us to 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 do great things over there. So that's really what the future will look like. So uh, maybe if we meet again in 20 months, John, we'll be, uh, you, you can test us on how far we are. We'll definitely be watching closely. But you've set yourself a challenge. I, I love it. Henk has just given us a tantalising look at what is to come. Ben, can you tell us any more? Uh, from my point of view, I'm just going back to what Henk said. You know, we, we are we, we focused on uh, delivering for a sector at the moment. Uh, there are many more sectors that this technology can be pushed into, and that's um, that's what we're looking forward to, to doing. Brilliant. What's on the horizon for you, Chloe? I think I'm really enjoying the sort of the roadmap at the moment towards the the fully zero emission vessels. Looking at obviously starting with these designs on on paper and, and developing them through to actual tangible products on the water that are going to be out there. So that's what's coming up for me. Thank you, Chloe. It sounds like we'll have a lot more opportunities to learn about the vessels you're developing. And thank you, Ben and Henk. You've all set out a really inspiring story here. It's very easy to be frustrated when we focus on the consequences of not getting the energy transition right, of not doing it fast enough. But Henk, something you said I'd like to, to highlight. Let's stop and reflect on the great work that we've achieved so far. There's been real progress over the, the last 20 months. The next 20 months will be even faster, even better. But let's stop and reflect this Christmas and say to our colleagues in this, in this partnership, what a great job you've done. Let's leave it there. Until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.